Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Good morning on this fourth Sunday of Easter, and we celebrate on May 3rd, and I cannot wait for the day when we get to take communion together again, and I wish it were this day, but we are here to wait a while longer, and I hope that all of you are safe and healthy and have everything you need, and I know that many of us are able to be taken care of or to take care of each other, and for those that I haven't had a chance to talk with over the last seven weeks, I miss you. I miss you, and I'm so glad to have so many faces here that I can be reminded of the wonderful people that I get to be a part of the church, the family of God with. And oh, I cannot wait for the day that we get to all be together again. It is going to be a day of celebration. And in the meantime, we come to this day, and we're going to read a passage from John 10, and then we're going to talk a bit about what beauty looks like. And what Jesus is saying by the way that he uses the word beauty and what that means for us and the way that we have this incredible opportunity every day, today no different than any other day we've lived, but hopefully would just spend some time reflecting and, and focusing and giving a, a resurgence to this calling that we have to be the church amidst even COVID-19, amidst being home and some of you feel stuck, and some of you feel liberated, some of you are furloughed, some of you are worried that furlough is coming, some have really not been affected, um, and we, we carry that strange mix of feelings and emotions and realities with us as a family, and I hope that we are reaching out to one another to touch base with one another to say, hey, how are you doing? I miss you. And how can I be your sister or brother this day? I know many of you are, and if you have yet to make phone calls to people as a part of your church family, I invite you to make some this week. I mean, this is the important stuff when people reach out to let us know that we are remembered, that we are thought of, or uh, just as we encourage one another and build each other up to help each other get through this difficult time. And if you have a need, then reach out because you have the church family who is ready to serve you and help with that need. So before we dive in here, let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you for the beauty of the day, for the way that you have revealed fullness of life and beauty to us through Jesus Christ and through your Holy Spirit who has touched all of us or who is longing to touch us. As we have received your call, your touch, your invitation, Lord, I ask that you help us be a source of encouragement, of strength, of joy and blessing and presence and peace and comfort for one another, not only of the church, but that we are fragrant 
and our faith to where all of those around us can see the beauty that you give us, that comes through us, that you embody in us for the sake of all people. As you love the world, Lord, help us to love your world. It's in Jesus' name and through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. We read John chapter 10, and as we hear the words, I invite you to take each line one at a time. If you want to pause it after each line, do so. But to just soak in the words and the image, and I want to give some history before we dive into it, because the history is going to help you understand what the images meant, what they meant to the writer, what they meant to the audience, so that then we can start to understand what it should mean for us and how we can understand it. And so part of this story, as I talked about several weeks ago with the Maccabean revolt of the second century BCE, uh, this happened 200 years before Jesus. What happened was, is the Assyrians, led by Antiochus Epiphany, and you may remember that passage that we read, uh, the Assyrians had taken over Jerusalem, had taken over Israel, and had established their own idols and their own worship in the temple meant for God. And so the whole temple had become not a temple for God, but a temple for these, these foreign idols. And so things got so bad that finally a family, a man named Judas, Judas Maccabeus, stood up with his family and led a revolt. And they revolted and defeated the great Greek Assyrian army and drove them out and reestablished Israel as its own nation where they enjoyed peace and prosperity for about a hundred years. The people had longed for the coming of a Messiah. Now, a Messiah in their eyes was, a, was one that wielded a sword, just like David. That's what David did. The Messiah is supposed to come from David, be like David, fight off the enemies through violence and war, and to reestablish Israel, the people Israel, as the people, as God's nation, who would then judge all the other nations. That was the hope. They had come back from exile several hundred years prior. They had reestablished the law and Torah. They had reestablished and rebuilt the temple. And so they were awaiting the great and coming day promised to them through Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the other prophets like Micah um, and Zechariah. They were awaiting the coming. And so here we have this family that rises up with the sword. They defeat the foreign army, reestablish Israel, and then they ride in and they cleanse the temple of all the things that had defiled it. They reestablish, have a celebration, and then they vow to celebrate every year and to plead with God to never put them in that position again. And they celebrate the, the day of dedication. The festival of dedication emerged from this practice. We know it as the festival of Hanukkah. And so on the 25th month of, of their year, their calendar, which usually coincides with December, which is why Hanukkah is always around the time of Christmas, they tell the story of the great Messiah King coming and establishing Israel, which after 100 years proved to be not the Messiah, as then Rome came in and took over, cleaned house, and did everything their way. They were longing for a new king to come 
and to reestablish the temple, to cleanse the temple, to fulfill the law, and to become their king. That it would be God as king through this Davidic Messiah. And so a lot of people wondered, would it be God or would it be the Messiah? And Jesus comes to say, yes, it is. It is God and the Messiah. We are one. And so they're waiting. And they're waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled, the idea of a good shepherd, the kind of shepherd that Isaiah talked about. We hear in the Psalms, we hear about in Ezekiel, the shepherd that comes not for the sake of himself, herself, not for the sake of their needs, their desires, but actually for the sake of the sheep, to wander the world and to regather and find all the lost sheep, to bring them together, to give their life for the sheep, to make it all about the benefit and life and well-being of the sheep. Lots of leaders like to assume that they were doing this great work, but often what happened was that the leaders were just looking out for their own good. And so you had kings like Herod, who married a woman of the family of the Maccabean people simply to say he, he wanted to continue the bloodline of these great kings to say to the people that I'm continuing this great dynasty, which wasn't really his motive as it came to be, as it came to light shortly thereafter, Herod was always about himself, willing to kill his own family to ensure his own goodness, compromising with Rome for the sake of his own luxury and passed that same way onto his sons. Then you had religious leaders rising up who were, well, they found in the, in the ancient ruins of the temple, they found $5,000 bottles of wine that the priests had bought with money given to them that was supposed to go to the poor and the widows to take care of them. And they didn't do that. So some of the priests were looking out for themselves and spending the money of the poor for the sake of their own bottles of wines. I don't know how they figure out how much it's worth, but that's the, that's the research. And then you had revolutionaries present in the time of Jesus holding the sword, claiming to be a Messiah, one ready to stand up and fight God's war against Rome, which eventually they did a few decades after Jesus, and it got Jerusalem completely destroyed. And so looking back in the hindsight from the perspective of the author of our fourth gospel account that we call John, looking back 40 years or 30 years to that great destruction of Jerusalem, looking back upon the time of Jesus and all upon the time of the Maccabeans to the time of Ezekiel and Isaiah and this great rich history, we are presented Jesus coming onto the scene in this passage, offering a very real truth about himself if you're listening. And so in John 9, they had asked Jesus, they were wondering, is he the Messiah? Is he the one? And so in the chapter we have called 10, verses 1 through 18, here's what Jesus says. I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall, is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away because they don't know the stranger's voice. 
Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus spoke again. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life, indeed, so they could have life and live it to the fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. It's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it up, and I have the right to take it up again. I received this commandment from my Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have an image that Jesus very clearly gives And it's during the festival of dedication that he gives it. You just go on a few verses, you see. During the festival of Hanukkah, he stands and proclaims this great idea that he is the gate. And the understanding and and their context, if you don't know the gate of the sheep, so the, the shepherd would find a cave or a small something that could contain the sheep and then would lay across the opening to keep the sheep from wandering out and to keep wild animals from getting in. So the shepherd would literally lay across as the gate to protect the sheep. So Jesus says, I am the gate. I am that which protects you. And he also says, I am the good shepherd who will bring all the sheep together, who will lead them all to life and to pasture, and they will come only through me as the gate, the one that lays down his life for them. And so he brings all this ancient idea of what the king and the Messiah are supposed to be in this great coming of God. And he brings it all together. And he says four times, I am the gate, the gate. I am the shepherd, the shepherd. I am the name of God. He says it. He brings it all together, makes it very clear who he is and what he's there to do for those that hear him and know his voice. Now, He uses the word good. I am the good shepherd. And good doesn't mean what we often use it for. You know, we we might eat a meal and say, oh, that was a good meal. Or we may meet a person and say, they're a good person, right? Uh, You did a good job. We, We use this word good. Think of the word more as beautiful because that's more literally what it means. Attractive, beautiful, not by the looks. It didn't speak to Jesus physical attributes. It spoke to who he was and the presence he was. He was a shepherd, not the shepherd that comes to lead for 
his own benefit. He's not the shepherd that stands on the back and whips and drives the sheep forward. He is the beautiful shepherd that walks ahead and they follow because they are attracted to him and his beauty or his goodness. And so all that he's doing in the lives of all the people that he's touching, they're coming to him in droves, not because he's made them, not because he gives a better argument, not because he's putting down anybody or anything. Rather, what he's doing is so beautiful, people want to be a part of it. We know what that's like. We know beauty when we see it. Many of us have been brought to tears when we have seen great beauty. And we find that even we can't find the words to describe what it is we're feeling when we encounter beauty, we know that we want to remain by it, that there's something about that beauty that will forever be with us, that we want to find more. It's no different with Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. This faith on its best days is beautiful. And when we live it and we are the church on our best days, people want to be a part of what we're a part of. We don't have to tell them. We don't have to convince them. We don't have to have the best argument. We don't have to scare them. We don't have to guilt them. If we're doing those things, we're not being beautiful, and therefore we're not being good. Rather, we live in such a way that people, one, know that we believe it, and two, they see the beauty and can't deny it. And that's enough. People will be drawn in. And kind of my example I want to offer for this kind of way and invite you to to watch is, you know, in the time of COVID, a lot of us are watching a lot of TV and movies and shows, and and maybe that's not you, but if it is, there's some good ones out there. And Lauren and I watched a documentary recently about Jane Goodall, the primatologist, the anthropologist who spent a lot of time in Gambi, Africa, uh, with the chimpanzees, the apes just studying them and getting to know them and researching and discovering all sorts of amazing things about them. You may know her from that. And you may know her from the late 80s when she became an activist on their behalf. And a lot of the work she did was for the sake, ultimate sake, of helping the apes and and animals uh, around the world be treated better, be treated with more care in the kind of way that, that Genesis 1 asks us to. And she doesn't do that from a faith perspective, at least that she didn't offer that as she shared. What she felt in the early part of her career watching the apes interact and and be a community, she discovered they were very similar to human beings, very similar. The same kind of affectionate companionship and connection that we share, they share. And so she started to see there's something more going on here. And, And she speaks several times to the to the great presence that was out in the wilderness that was beyond what she could see. And that drove her in her research. But then years later, as she was invited to come to a conference, they invited her to be an activist. She had really made a name for herself. And of course, people that have a cause want people with a name to be the one to lead it because people will listen to names that they know. She did not want to be an activist. Nothing about her was interested in that life. But it it dawned on her that she cared more about the well-being of these apes than she did about her own desire or comfort. And so she became an activist out of a feeling of responsibility for them. She was, in a sense, their shepherd, uh, leading a life that was going to be ultimately better for them. And she did it in the most incredible way. And I invite you to watch the documentary. I think it's called Hope. And... uh, 
she managed to get people high up in government authorities across different countries, including the United States, to be captivated by her, by the beauty of how she operated. Nothing to do with her looks, but to do with how she sought to, to seek the well-being of not only the animals, but of everybody. She worked with the enemy, according to other activists. She worked with CEOs and leaders in some of the natural uh, gas and oil industries that were actually causing the harm for animals. She started working with them. One, because she realized they have a lot of resources and can help. But two, she understood that holding a sign and yelling at people, arguing your point and raising your voice louder and louder never accomplishes anything. It may get some attention, but it doesn't change much. What changes, she understands, is a person's heart. If she could touch the hearts of these leaders, maybe she could lead them to change the way they do things, which is exactly what happened. And all of them spoke about her in the most incredible way. They didn't talk about how right she was or how powerful she was. They talked about how humble she was, how there was a, a confidence and strength to her that was gentle was the word that they used, that hearing her and getting to know her, they wanted to help her because they saw the beauty in her as a human being. And so that's her mission now. She speaks now well into her 80s, travels the world when she's not ordered to stay at home, and she invites other people, generations, to be a part of something beautiful for the sake of the whole. Great documentary, watch it. <laughs> what I get from this is a, is a modern day image of what Jesus was doing and the way that he was reaching people. Jesus would have conversations at a table with enemies and reveal to them that they were much more than the titles they carried, just like we're much more. We're not just parents and children. We're not just Americans. We're not just male and female. We're not just Republican or Democrat. We are something much deeper at the core of our identity. We belong to the new humanity, the new household. God is the manager of the household. Christ is our brother. And we are brought into this family through the Holy Spirit. Our identity lies in that first and foremost, which enables us to be great parents and children, to be great Americans, to be great Democrats or Republicans or neither, uh, if you're a theocrat, a word that I, I've found a lot of hope in, in as being a theocrat. Regardless of all that, what kind of father, child, American, left, right, progressive, conservative, what kind of person are you? Because you can stand and shout and try to force people to do what you want them to do, or we can follow the lead of our shepherd. And because we're founded upon a deeper core identity in God, we can allow God's beauty to come through us in such a way that people, they don't see the other titles, they see the beauty, and they may just want to be a part of what we're a part of. And we may just be able to show the beauty of God through all that we do, no matter what avenue we are called to do it, whether we're an employee or an employer. And many of you out there are one or the other and are worried about if you're gonna have a job or worried about if your employees are gonna have a job. We carry so many titles, it can get really complicated. What is our faith for us? Are we following the lead of our beautiful shepherd? Are we trusting in the way of Jesus Christ alone to lead us to pasture? 
so that all that we do becomes about showing the beauty given to us through Jesus. It's not about telling other people what they need to do. It never has been. It's not what it was about for Jesus. Rather, Jesus led the way, and we have been captivated by the beauty of it to follow in his footsteps. And we are invited to captivate others because through the Holy Spirit, we are ignited with the same beauty in Jesus Christ. Jesus is leading us into the fullness of life in such a way that others cannot help but follow if we allow it, if we remember that we are a member of God's sheepfold first and foremost, and dare I say at times only. And from there, we learn where we are led and we live with such humility and beauty and gentleness that we touch the hearts of those around us, not with good arguments, not with guilt and shame, certainly not out of fear of consequence. No one follows sincerely through those methods. Any other method other than the way of Jesus Christ is a way of destruction and stealing. It is not the way of life. Let us rekindle the great beauty that captivated us in the first place to bring us into this family. And then let us pray every day, read our scripture, reflect upon all that Christ has done for us and reflect upon the great community that we are a part of, that we can reach out and be a part of one another's lives in such a beautiful way that we take care of each other and love each other so deeply and completely that others that see us want to be a part of our family too because they see beauty, that the fragrance of our lives together drifts around us to where people catch it and the longing that they've had in their heart that maybe they haven't even realized was there or they certainly haven't known that Jesus was what they were hungering for. May they experience that beauty through us. So church, keep doing what you're doing and continue to let the Spirit lead you forward. Let us be beautiful as our shepherd is beautiful. And, and my friends, let the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be that which sustains you, that which drives you, and that which is seen in and through you, through the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.